0: Hello everybody and welcome back to part two of A to Z of British and UK culture. Part A we went through A to H and now we are of course coming up to I in the alphabet. So I'm going to go through a couple of things for each letter as I previously did. Hopefully you are enjoying uh, this. I think it will be a three part series if I'm not mistaken Uh, and please do Leave a comment, send me an email, give the podcast a rating. Um, Coming in now for I, we have immigration. So the UK is an incredibly diverse and multicultural country. One of the most multicultural in the world, I would say. I'd have us up there with the United States. So people from all cultures and ethnicities can be found in every corner of Britain. For example, in London, there's over 300 different languages spoken. If you walk down a high street in Britain, especially in a bigger city, you will see people of all races, all cultures, uh, very diverse. And this even bleeds into the shops and restaurants that you can find there. For example, you walk down a high street, you can find a Chinese restaurant, an Indian restaurant, Japanese. There'll be a Polish supermarket. There might even be a tapas bar, Persian cuisine. It really is incredibly diverse. So Britain has always been a fairly mixed society, even for a long time. At the start of our history, we were invaded by the Romans, of course, Italian Roman descent, the Saxons, who were German, Dutch and Danish, and then the Vikings, who came from the Nordic countries. Later on, the Normans, who are Uh, ethnically French and later on in the 50s 60s after the war the UK placed a big emphasis on needing to increase the population as obviously a lot of people had died during the war and in the 50s and 60s this is when we first saw people from the Caribbean India Pakistan and Hong Kong for example There's a famous saying which is the Windrush generation. Now, the Windrush generation stems from 1948. The Windrush was a boat and this brought 492 Jamaicans to the UK. After this, more boats and more Jamaicans and Caribbean people uh, followed. In the 50s and 60s, this is when a lot of people from India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh came to the UK. Now, you may think, why these countries? Well, these were and were the previous Commonwealth nations, so they're British citizens in their own right from the Commonwealth and then have come over to the UK. Additionally, since Poland and Romania have joined the European Union, Poland joining in 2004, we have seen a rise of a lot more Polish and Romanian immigrants in the UK. I myself, being able to speak Polish, always thought that it was a good language to learn because there's a huge community of Polish people in the UK. So therefore, it's an important language. The second most spoken language in the UK, in fact. For the next one, I I have gone for imperial pint. Now, i sort of cheating here because it is a pint, but it's actually an imperial pint because it's an imperial measurement. Now, the imperial pint is incredibly famous in the UK. Whenever you go to a pub or a restaurant, alcoholic drinks such as beer and cider will always be offered in pints or half pints. A pint equates to 568 millilitres. Often you'll see a pint glass. They're kind of fairly fairly rounded. There's two different types of pint glasses. One that go up vertically straight, so they sort of go outwards and straight on each side. And then one that starts thin and then goes a bit more bulbous and a bit more rounded at the top. Now that's a classic pint glass. Very popular in the UK. You often hear people say, oh, let's get a pint. And that means a pint of beer, generally. So let's get a pint. Now, next for me, there can only be one. J for James Bond. James Bond is a character from a set of 12 novels and two short stories written by the author Ian Fleming. Now, Ian Fleming had some direct contact with such secret agents and men like James Bond because he used to be part of the Secret Service during the Second World War. James Bond is also commonly referred to as 007. Now, 007 is his agent name. It's saying he's the seventh agent in the, the 00 um, program. Presumably, the previous six agents have died before him, leaving him as the seventh one, 007. James Bond is one of the most popular film franchises in the world, and I'm sure you've all heard of it. But But for me, he sums up what it means to be British. Now, not everybody is like James Bond or acts like James Bond, but he is just the coolest, most British, British man of all time. As he says, shaken, not stirred. What a man. Love James Bond. There is, of course, always a debate with these things of who is the best. So who played the best James Bond? Of course, the famous ones being Sean Connery, the first one, Daniel Craig, the most recent one. And Piers Brosnan played a few Bonds too. Timothy Dalton only did two, and George Lazenby just one. Roger Moore, Sean Connery and Daniel Craig are the Bonds who have done the most Bonds. For me, my favourite is Sean Connery. Daniel Craig is the more modern Bond. He's a bit more rough and ready. The, the films are a bit more action-y, they're a bit more real. But for me, my favourite is Sean Connery. He has some great one-liners, some great puns. He's just very smooth and slick. It's a very old school vibe because it is an old film, of course. But for me, Sean Connery will always be my favourite Bond. Another entry for Jay is Jerusalem. No, I'm not talking about the city in the Middle East, the famous one from the Bible. I'm talking about the song. So Jerusalem is what some people call the unofficial English anthem. Of course our national anthem is God Save the Queen, now God Save the King. Still sounds weird, I prefer saying God Save the Queen. But Jerusalem is one of those songs that should be the national anthem. It's a really great patriotic song. In the song it imagines Jesus coming to England to find a new Jerusalem. A quote from the song. And did those feet in ancient time walk upon England's mountains green? That's how it starts. So I'd recommend putting into YouTube Jerusalem song or Jerusalem England and giving it a listen, because for me, that's one of the best patriotic songs for for England. H, we have Henry VIII, or King Henry VIII, actually. Henry VIII, uh, apart from having a great name, my middle name is Henry, if you were wondering. He is famous for having six wives. And killing off a few of them, we have a famous song which goes: "Divorce, beheaded, died; divorce, beheaded, survived." So that's the order in which King Henry the Ape's wives either were killed, died, or predeceased him. So divorce, beheaded, died; divorce, beheaded, survived. So he murdered, We just beheaded two of them, just the two, only the two. That makes it a lot better than three. An interesting fact about Henry VIII, his second marriage, which was to Anne Boleyn, actually led to the establishment of the Church of England. This is because, at the time, divorce wasn't allowed with the Roman Catholic Church. So he wasn't allowed to divorce Catherine of Aragon, who was his first wife. and He wasn't allowed to remarry Anne Boleyn. To get around this, Henry just said, right, I will do it my way and broke with the papacy in Rome and established the Church of England instead, a Protestant church that we still have today. So that's one way to get around the problem. Henry VIII was also famous for being quite a large gentleman. He used to throw big lavish parties, um, ate a lot of food and also had quite a lot of sicknesses. He increased the size of the Royal Navy, Navy by ten times. He was sort of fearful from attacks from the French and the Spanish after his separation from Rome and the, form in, the formation of the Church of England, and invested heavily in the Royal Navy to protect himself. <laughs> Lastly, he also had three legitimate children. He had a daughter with Mary, a daughter Mary with Catherine of Aragon. He had a daughter Elizabeth with Anne Boleyn, and a son Edward with Jane Seymour. All three children would go on to rule England after Henry's death, with Elizabeth, the last monarch of the Tudor dynasty, ruling for a celebrated 45 years. L for Lake District. The Lake District is a region and national park in Cumbria, which is located in the northwest of England. It's a popular vacation destination and is known for its glacial ribbon lakes rugged mountains and historic literary associations. There are market towns there such as Kendal, Ambleside and Keswick. Now the Lake District is one of the most beautiful and picturesque parts of the United Kingdom and more specifically England. If you ever fancy taking a trip outside one of the big cities such as London or Manchester, the Lake District is certainly the place to visit. It's got a huge national park, lots of waterfalls, lakes, great scenery. Really do recommend going here. Good to be out in the outdoors, lots of fresh air here. And one of the classic places for Brits to get away in a staycation, as we call it, i.e. Staying in the country and not travelling abroad. Another bonus one I wanted to throw in on L was London Cab or London Taxi. Now... A London cab is a sort of nickname for a taxi. So these black cabs, we call them, it's a taxi that's in London. You do get black cabs elsewhere, but they are famous and synonymous for being in London. Now, a cab is sort of a slang way of saying taxi. So a black cab, hail a black cab down. And you can say a cabbie. So somebody who drives a black taxi or a London Cab is a cabbie, and that's just sort of a nickname for it. So get a cab, get a taxi. Now for M, I've gone for Mother and Sunday. Now Mother and Sunday is what the rest of the world know as Mother's Day. So Mother and Sunday falls on different days throughout the year. For example. Let me just check this year, it's usually in March, so this year it was Sunday the 19th of March and next year it's Sunday the 10th of March. The reason it changes year to year is Mothering Sunday always falls on the 4th Sunday of Lent. Now Mothering Sunday, like Mother's Day in every culture, is a time when children pay respect to their mothers and often buy gifts and a card. Generally speaking, I'll buy my mum some chocolate, maybe some smellies, so smellies are sort of cosmetics, maybe some soap, something like this, always chocolate, always a good idea, and occasionally flowers, something like this. So as I just said, Mother and Sunday is not a fixed day because it's always the middle Sunday in Lent, which lasts from Ash Wednesday to the day before Easter Sunday. So the history behind Mother and Sunday, it used to also be known as refreshment Sunday, pudding pie Sunday, or mid Lent Sunday. It was a day in Lent when the fasting rules were relaxed in honor of the feeding of the 5,000, a story of the Christian Bible. As it was Christmas, I wanted to add another M and that's M for mince pies. I mentioned this in episode two, the Christmas episode. A mince pie is a sweet pie of English origin that is filled with mince meat, hence the name. When you think of mince meat, you often think of ground meat, as they call it in America. So minced meat, so minced pork, minced beef. However, this mince meat is a mixture of fruit, spices, and suet. These pies are traditionally served during the Christmas season in a lot of the English-speaking world. They're very popular. Tesco always do their own brand, own version, you can get Mr. Kipling do mince pies, you can get cheaper mince pies and then the finest mince pies which are more expensive and you can actually even buy the mince meat to make your own mince pies at home. The ingredients for the modern mince pie can be traced to the return of European crusaders from the Holy Land. Middle Eastern methods of cooking, which sometimes combine meats, fruits and spices, were popular at the time, but of course not very popular in the UK. Pies were created from such mixtures of sweet and savoury foods. In Tudor England, shred pies, as they were known then, were formed from shredded meat, suet and dried fruit. Then there were an addition of cinnamon, cloves and nutmeg. Now this taste of mince meat. And the cinnamon and dried fruit and spices, to me, is Christmas, that Christmas feeling. But I know it's an acquired taste, which means not everybody enjoys it. N is for the national anthem, God Save the Queen. Now, God Save the King, but I can't. It has to be God Save the Queen for me. This British National Anthem, well, English National Anthem, originated in a patriotic song first performed in 1745. The official verse is sung as follows. God save our gracious Queen, long live our noble Queen, God save the Queen. Send her victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us, God save the Queen. The second verse can be such as the choicest gifts in store on her be pleased to pour long may she reign, may she defend our laws, and give us ever cause to sing with heart and voice. God save the queen. Usually, you just hear this first verse so at sporting events, Olympics, football, I don't know. Eurovision Awards, Formula One Awards, you'll just hear this first verse, which is the most famous one. And now of course it has to be God save the king as we are ruled by a king now. N is also for Northern Ireland, the northern section of the island of Ireland. So to make it more confusing, Ireland can be split up into Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland. The Republic of Ireland is its own independent country and Northern Ireland is part of the UK. However, they're both connected. Currently you can freely get into and out of Northern Ireland. There's no border control, it's a free border. This has been debate of Brexit, whether Northern Ireland will have to put up a border and can they act as an independent country and agree such terms with Ireland and the EU. The Northern Ireland Act of 1998 saw English government birth some power to Northern Ireland and give away some of the decision-making powers to Northern Ireland and help them create their own assembly where they make their own laws and help govern themselves. Additionally there is the Belfast Agreement. So Belfast is the capital of Northern Ireland and the Belfast Agreement ensures that the Northern Irish government cooperates with the government of Ireland on several key areas. Now, Belfast, of course, for me, has a special place in my heart, as that's where I went to university. There were times when I thought, it's not the most beautiful city in the world, but then other times where I really enjoyed it and had some fond memories there. Now, the centre of Belfast is really good, really good city, really like the centre. It reminds me of any other sort of big northern city, so it could be a Leeds or a Manchester or something of that um, standard. But Belfast is a really nice city, and the City Hall, which is right in the centre, for me is the most impressive part. And in front of the City Hall, they always have a Christmas fair, like a German-style market and Christmas fair. I went there with my dad and his girlfriend when they came to visit. That's really lovely. And I fondly remember my flat being near the centre, near the Europa bus centre where you could get the bus to the whole of Ireland or for me to the airport. My flat was there in the third year. Uh, My best friend at university lived on the floor above me. I think I was the 11th floor. And I remember every Saturday I used to walk to McDonald's from my flat, which was like a maybe six, seven minute walk. I remember walking there every Saturday and that was like the weekly treat. Get McDonald's and always get a lot of McDonald's. Like enough for two people, you know. When you go to McDonald's, you've gotta gotta hit it hard, I think. Next for O, I wanted to go for Oxford as it is one of the most famous cities in the UK. I've visited Oxford a couple of times. I attempted to get into Oxford University, but unfortunately did not pass. Um, so the prestigious university is one of the, or well, is the oldest university in the English-speaking world. It's estimated to be nine hundred and twenty-six years old. Built in ten ninety-six. It's also, of course, famous for the Oxford English Dictionary. Now, this is one of the most reputable dictionaries in the English language, if not the number one. It's relied upon in UK and English school systems. I remember when we were at school, we always had a Oxford Dictionary um, to help us. So the Oxford Dictionary first began documenting the language in 1857, and is one of the longest-running dictionaries the world in that the world has. Interestingly enough, up until two hundred years ago, the only subject that you could study at the University of Oxford was religion. Since then, of course, the curriculum has expanded to cover pretty much all subjects. The university is interesting because it is made up of colleges. So there isn't just one university, there's lots of colleges that make up the university. So a student may be studying at Christ Church or Corpus Christi College, for example, and there's 30 colleges that make up Oxford. Some of the most famous ones are probably Trinity College, Exeter College, and Corpus Christi College. And during the Second World War, Oxford was pretty much left unscathed, untouched, unbombed, in mint condition. Now the reason for this was because Hitler actually wanted Oxford to be the capital of England after defeating them. Obviously, this didn't come to Come to fruition or come to plan, but you've got to You've got to understand. He must have seen the beauty in Oxford and Lastly for this episode we have P so I'm gonna start with pancake day pancake days official name is Shrove Tuesday It's the only day of the year where everybody eats pancakes and are urged to do so So what is pancake day? pancake day Is the last day before the period which Christians call Lent. As you can tell, a lot of the holidays and traditions I mentioned are to do with Lent. Of course, England and the UK was historically a very very Christian and traditional country, so this makes sense. Lent is a time of abstinence, of giving things up. So Shrove Tuesday is the last chance to indulge yourself and to use up all the foods that aren't allowed during Lent. Pancakes are perfect for this, because they contain fat, butter and eggs, which are all forbidden to eat during Lent, and back in the day were of course harder to get your hands on. Shrift Tuesday is also celebrated the day before Ash Wednesday, and is therefore the final day before the commencement of Lent. So in a way, Pancake Day is like the last day until Lent and then everything leads up to Easter. Now, British pancakes are slightly different to American pancakes. American pancakes are smaller and more thick. They're sort of thick and rounded. Whereas English uh, pancakes are very thin, like a thin flat cake made of butter and then fried in a pan. Now, how do we eat our pancakes? There's no one right answer, and it's obviously a preference. But the most famous way to consume and eat the pancakes are with sugar and lemon on them so that's cover them in sugar and then squeeze lemon over the top now you can roll it up and eat it like a crepe or just eat it as it is flat additionally golden syrup is extremely popular and famous for pancakes in the uk lastly some people have nutella but this is sort of more american if you want a classic pancake a classic british pancake they'll definitely serve it with lemon and sugar Another quick one for P is pudding. Now, pudding means dessert. We call it pudding or afters as well. Afters because it's the meal after dinner. So like a sweet treat for afters. But pudding is a very English word. So mm, what's for pudding? Oh, I'd love some Victoria sponge for pudding. Which leads us to last in this episode for P. And in part two, P for pence. Pence and pound. So the English system for money. We do not use the euro unlike a few of our European neighbours and brothers. Some big shops will accept the euro but generally speaking I don't remember a time of using the euro in the UK so it's always wise to get some pounds out whilst you can. Since decimalisation in 1971 the pound has been divided into a hundred pence. One hundred pence makes a pound. This is similar to how 100 cents makes a dollar. The singular of pence is penny. I have one penny. I have 10 pence. The symbol for the penny is p. Hence an amount such as 50p is often pronounced as 50p rather than 50 pence. This is because people are literally reading it how it is written down. The current legal tender in in England is one penny pence or one penny coin. Two pence coin. These are both bronze. Five pence, ten pence, twenty pence coins. These are all silver. Fifty pence coin. This is also silver. One pound coin. This has gold and silver. Two pound coin. This is mainly just gold. And for the banknotes we have five pound note. Winston Churchill's faces on this one. Ten pound note. £20 note and £50 note. They've recently, in the last 5 to 10 years, brought in new notes, so they redesigned the notes and also changed the material. The new material is supposed to be waterproof. The material is polymer. Apparently, it is cleaner, safer and stronger than paper. I remember once on a scout camp, we were next to this lake and I was walking around the edge of the lake on this sort of islandy bit past some trees and it was slippy on the ground and I remember slip slipping on the grass and falling into the lake. Thankfully the lake wasn't that deep but the point is I had my wallet on me and in there I had a five pound and a ten pound note. It was completely wet and I had to put these on the radiator to warm them up and make sure that they wouldn't wouldn't break or cut in half. Thankfully they ended up warming up and I could use them later on. You wouldn't have this problem with the new notes, though, because they're waterproof and not as susceptible to tear and damage. This also means that they're going to soon have to replace the new notes with updated notes with King Charles III on. Of course, on one side of the note always has the reigning monarch, so the Queen has been on notes since they've been introduced. However, as she sadly passed away, this means that King Charles's face will now be on the next notes that are printed. It's quite interesting, but if you look at coins and notes over time, they're updated for how the Queen looks. So, coins from 30 years ago, the Queen looked younger than she did on the recent coins in 2021 or 2022, for example. So, we'll definitely be looking out for King Charles on the bank notes, and I'll definitely think the first time, I get a note with King Charles will be quite a weird and momentous moment. Anyhow, that's all for part two of this A to Z of English and British culture. I hope to see you in part three that will be released shortly and we'll finish from, where are we? We'll finish from P to Z and hopefully you've learned even more about the UK. Thanks for listening. Please do leave a rating, a five star, a thumbs up. If this was useful, send it to a friend or recommend it to a friend. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact me at englishwithfraser at gmail.com. The link to that is in the description of this podcast. Appreciate you tuning in. And as always, take care and all the best. Bye bye.